Good morning. We've got a wonderful crowd today. We're glad you're here. We're glad to be together here this morning to worship God. Uh, we're certainly glad that you've chosen to come and participate in this assembly. And don't take that for granted. Your presence, don't take your presence for granted. It is an encouragement every time we see your face. And I hope that it's an encouragement to you every time you see ours. Uh, this is a great blessing that God's given us to be together, to strengthen each other, and we need each other. We need each other. I want to talk to you this morning about a story from Exodus, or just an excerpt from Exodus, and we're not going to turn and read that just yet. I want to revisit what Brother Riley read for us this morning from 1 Peter chapter 5 as we begin to collect our thoughts this morning to open God's Word and study from it. 1 Peter chapter 5, once again from verse 6. Peter writing here to the churches that were in Asia, what we would roughly identify as Asiatic Turkey. These are, this is the same area that John the Revelator wrote the letters uh, in the book of Revelation to, those that were going to be persecuted. He says to them, humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, this phrase in the middle of this reading, casting your anxieties or your cares on him because he cares for you, is something we often talk about, something we often quote to one another to encourage one another to continue to give God our problems, to give God our trials. And that's a very important thing for us to do. But there's a lot around this, if you look. There's a lot that he says around that statement, if you look. Suffering is a part of life. It's something each and every one of us deal with in life. It's touched many of us. And I have no doubt today that there are many of you here who have been touched by suffering. And maybe you're being touched by suffering right now. Just in the last couple of years, we've lost a lot of people. And we've experienced that grief, that pain, that sorrow. I have no doubt that many of you here have had circumstances happen in your life related to your health that have changed your entire world. Changed what you can do, how you feel. And it's real, isn't it? It's real suffering. There's people here today who have experienced betrayal and you're hurt by it. You've watched people make decisions. They've walked away from God, and it hurts us. And we feel that pain. And the question is, what do we do with that pain? And Peter says, cast your cares, your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Do you do that? Do you take your pain before the throne of God? I told you there's a lot around this. I want to look at what's around this. He says in verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore, listen, under the mighty hand of God. What do you think about when you read those words? Under the mighty hand of God. Put your trust in God. Hide yourself under not just God's hand, God's mighty hand. And what's he say will happen? What, what are we hiding ourselves under God's hand for? Because there's an enemy. Because there's a war. Because there's a battle. And what does he say? You hide yourself under the mighty 
hand of God. But we often associate this warning with the devil here with lust, don't we? We talk about that. Be careful. The devil's trying to bait you. He's trying to lure you in through your desire, through your lust. But is that what he's talking about here when he talks about Satan? When he talks about the roaring lion? Let's look at the next verse. I think this will help clear some things up. So let's read verse 8 again. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Verse 9. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing what? That the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What's he talking about here? Is he talking about lust? Is he talking about sinful desire? No, he's saying Satan is going to cause you to suffer. And you watch. And you stand firm in your faith. Because he is going to come for you. He's going to come at you. So, look at verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while. And you say, what? Wait, what? I thought you said to hide myself under the mighty hand of God because the battle was coming. Now you're saying I'm going to suffer for a while? Well, then why cast my cares? Why hide myself if I'm going to suffer? Keep reading. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You know what he says? God is in control. And he is mighty. And he is powerful. And he knows what he's doing. And you need to cast your anxieties on him and hide yourself under his mighty hand because you're going to suffer. But after you suffer, there's coming restoration. There's coming strength. And God will establish you and give him glory because he's in control. And I think sometimes we know all that. You know what we think? I don't like that. I do not like that. You know what I like? Comfort. That's what I like, comfort. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through hardship. I don't want anything to happen to me. What I want is to go under the mighty hand of God. And when trouble comes, God goes... And he just closes his hands and he keeps me from suffering. But here's the thing. God knows what God is doing. Can you imagine when God delivered the 12 tribes? And I'm talking about the brothers through Joseph. When God sends Joseph into Egypt and they come in there during the famine. And now they're protected in Egypt. And God has been their salvation. He's delivered them. And they start to have children. And their, their lineage begins to grow inside of Egypt. And then all of a sudden, they're in Egypt where God led them to be delivered. And they're slaves. And there's an evil king. And he's beating their backs. And he's forcing them to work out in the hot sun. And you're suffering for hundreds of years. Longer than America has existed, they were in Egypt, and they suffered. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. You know what? They were powerless to deliver themselves from their slavery. 
They were under the hand of a mighty taskmaster, an enemy, representative of Pharaoh here, representing the devil. And he made their life bitter with hard bondage, and he caused them to suffer. And you know what they could do? Cry out for help. That's what they did. And God, it says, heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Do you see that? He heard them. He remembered his covenant. He saw them and he knew. But you know what? At this point, we're still a long way from the Red Sea. We're a long way from Canaan. They're a long way from the promised land. But God heard them. And he remembered his covenant. And he saw and he knew. But he didn't come down that day and deliver them. But it was coming. And the question is why? If God heard and he remembered and he saw and he knew, why not then? Why not now? Why make them wait? Why make them suffer longer? I want you to know something today. God hears you. He hears you. And we doubt that at times. We doubt that. Because in the midst of our suffering, when we're crying out and God's not delivering, it causes us to question, does he even hear me? And if he doesn't hear me, then why bother? But God hears you. He listens. Psalms 55 verse 16 says, As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. That word is rescue or deliver. Even Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. Do you believe that God listens to prayer? Do you believe he hears his people? How's your prayer life? Do you pray? Do you pray every day? When you do pray, is it just very formalistic? Is it just a repetition of familiar words? Or do you actually cry out to God about your suffering? Do you cry out to God and glorify Him? Do you cry out to God and thank Him for you? Do you really, really believe that God's listening? 1 John 5 says this, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us, and we know that He hears us. Listen, if we know, rather, if, he, if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And people read verse 15 and they say, well, I asked and I didn't receive. I asked and he didn't give. Maybe we missed verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in him if we ask anything according to his will. I know that in my life I have asked God for many things that were my will, but not his will. And then I was upset, <laughs> disappointed. When I didn't get what I wanted. And what if that's really our problem? Not that we don't get what we want. Not that God isn't listening. We just don't like his answer. We don't like his answer. Do you trust God? Do you really trust God? I can't answer that for you. But I hope you'll answer that for yourself. Because I know in my life there's been times when my trust has wavered. My confidence in him has been shaken. And I'm not so sure that I trust the will of God in my life. You ever been there? God knows what he is doing. And he's listening. And we need to trust him 
that he knows what he's doing. He said God remembered. What did he remember though? It says he heard their groanings and he remembered. What did he remember? Did he look down and remember how good the children of Israel were? Did he look down and remember their worthiness? Did he look down and remember their righteousness? Did he remember their goodness? It says that God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. You know what he saw when he heard their groaning? He remembered his promise. Now this is very important because sometimes we question whether or not God listens to us in regard to us instead of him. See, God made a promise, a covenant with his people. And sometimes we think, well, God's not going to listen to me because I've committed sin. And don't make any mistake about it. The Bible clearly teaches the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But you know what that doesn't say? God doesn't hear you because you committed a sin. It's not what it says. We recognize from Scripture, we recognize, we've been talking about the blind man in John 9, that if a person rebels against God, they turn away from God, that he's not going to hear their prayers. But there's a big difference in someone who rebels and turns their back on God and lives in sin willfully and someone who just sins but is trying to walk with God. There's a big difference in those things. But I think sometimes we're the latter of those two. We're really trying. And we're failing at times. But we don't pray because we feel dirty. Isaiah 59 says this, Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. We read this and we fear that God's not listening because I have not been perfect. You're not perfect. You'll never be perfect as long as you live on this earth. You'll never be perfect. That's a reality. There is none righteous. No, not one. And understand something. If you turn your back on God, if you rebel against God, if you and your pride decide you are God and you can live how you want to, God won't listen. But if you've committed sin in your life, you know what you need to do? You need to pray to God. Because I'll tell you what happens. This is our logic. I don't pray because I'm unclean. And I'm unclean because I don't pray. That's the truth. But you know what that does? Think about the logic of that. I'm not going to pray because I'm unclean. But then I'm not going to be unclean because why? Because I won't pray. And you just live in this vicious cycle of feeling unclean and not praying and feeling unclean and not praying. You know what else happens when you don't pray because you feel unclean? You don't thank God. You don't cry out to God. You don't cast your anxieties on God. Why? Because you doubt that he hears. But when God heard them and he saw them and he knew it's because he remembered his covenant. He remembered his covenant. 
Joel 2 says this, Now therefore says the Lord, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and with mourning. You know who he's writing to? A rebellious people who had turned their heart away from God and instead were making these outer displays of their repentance. And he says, I don't want the outer display. I don't want the show anymore. I don't want the acting anymore. What I want you to do is turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. I want you to rend your heart and not your garments. See, what they would do was they would take their garments and they would rip it in two as an outward show of their sorrow. And God said, stop that. You quit that. I want you to rip your heart open and give it to me. And I don't know your heart. Maybe you have rebelled against God. Maybe you've sinned against him. And I'll tell you what you need to do. Rip your heart and turn to God and pray to God and beg for his forgiveness. You know what he'll do? Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. What's that infer? Return to the Lord your God. It means you're not with God. Return, he says. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Why don't we come before the throne of God? Because of the fear of of God being angry because we're unclean. You know what this says? No, come. Come to the throne of God and open your heart. You know what God does? He didn't go, what are you doing here? He forgives. He extends mercy because he's of kindness. He doesn't want to hurt you. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to cry to him. But he wants you to get your heart right. See, God views us through His covenant. He remembers His covenant. My little children, He says, These things I write to you that you do not sin, or you may not sin. And if anyone sins, listen, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus is alive today. He's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And when we come before the throne, there He is, our high priest, who knows our infirmities, who is touched and sympathizes with our weaknesses. And you know what he does? He represents our covenant. And God hears, and he sees, and he knows, and he remembers his covenant. Cry out to God. God sees. What did he see? He saw them. And I want you to know God sees you. He sees you. In fact, the Bible teaches us the eyes of the Lord are in every place keeping watch on the evil and the good. Do you question that? I think sometimes we go, I'm hoping that's not true. <laughs> I'm hoping God doesn't see everything that I do. I get that. I understand that. But it doesn't matter. You know, that's just wishful thinking. God does see. We've even come up with these neat sayings. We go, well, Jesus forsook Jesus on the cross because God can't look at evil. Well, the Bible says he looks at evil. He looks at all of it. He sees all of it. He sees it. Now, he can't have communion with evil. He's not going to have communion with evil, but he sees it because he sees everything. And I think, again, sometimes we cry out and we go, he doesn't see me. He doesn't know that I'm hurting. Yes, he does. He absolutely knows. If you're hurting right now, this moment, God knows your pain. And he knows it better than you do. Because he sees you. 
You know, Martha felt this way. We read about Mary and Martha in Luke 10 and 40, and it says, Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? <coughs> Tell her then to help me. Now, I don't know how big their house was. I'm guessing it was probably not a huge house like we have. A lot of those houses were one-room homes. But I will tell you this, where she was serving, Jesus was present. He was there, and she's doing all this stuff. Her attention is on Mary over here, who's sitting on the floor thinking Mary's being lazy, and she thought Jesus didn't notice what was happening. And then she questioned whether or not he cared about what was happening. Lord, do you not care? See, that's what happens. We think when God doesn't answer, that means he doesn't care. And he does, or maybe he does care, but he just doesn't see. But Jesus saw her. He saw her. He knew what was going on in that house. And he cared. The problem was, she wanted him to care like she cared. And he wasn't going to validate her feelings. You know why? Because it didn't need to be validated. Her perspective was wrong. He cared. But see, when she questioned his care, she questioned whether or not he should be in control of the situation. And so she decided, you tell her to help me. All of a sudden, okay, now I'm Lord. You do what I want, Jesus. Woo. That's a little strong, isn't it? You imagine telling Jesus to do something? Hey, Lord, you do this. Isn't that what we do with God? Rather than crying out for help, we make demands of him, sometimes that are according to our will and not his, because our perspective's wrong, just like Martha. He saw and he cared. He knew. I want to read from Jeremiah 29. He said, oh, Jeremiah 29. I'm Je Jeremiah 29. I know that. Well, we're going to start in verse 4, because this is really important that we understand verse 4. We're going to read verse 11 in a minute. You know verse 11. It's on every Hobby Lobby sign. That, not every Hobby Lobby, but you see this a lot, right? I know the plans I have for you. Oh, you know that verse, but let's look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive. Now listen, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Wait, what? Seventy years. Judah's in captivity to Babylon. You know what they did that entire time? They cried out for deliverance. They cried out. What's happening? God says, the foot of your oppressor is on your neck. And I put it there. I put it there because of your sin. Whew. No, no, that can't be. God would never. Let's be very careful about saying God would never. Because if you look at Scripture, you'll notice God did quite a bit. Now, what we do need to remove from this equation is God always. Let's be very careful. Not every suffering in life is God's direct intervention because of some thing that he wants us to become aware of. But in this case, with these people, God said, I caused this to happen to you. But he didn't stop there. I caused it to happen for a reason. You know why? He says, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you. You know what he's saying? I remember my promise. I remember my covenant. I see you. I hear you. I know. But not yet. 
because I have a plan for you. I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. What would have been better for Judah? For Babylon to never come in, never destroy their city, never take them into captivity? I think if we thought about it with human logic, we'd say, absolutely, of course. Then why did God cause it to happen? And I'll tell you why. Because what would be worse for Judah to have not went into captivity and continued in their sin and their rebellion and turning their heart away from God? Or for God's purpose to be working in their life and then go to captivity and suffer for a little while but then come out with penitent hearts and draw near to God. And that is our problem, friends, is our perspective is too horizontal and not vertical. We want God's purpose to work in our favor in this world right now to bring about our comfort. And God said, I am the reason you're hurting and I have a purpose for it. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you that you're hurting today because God caused it to happen. I'm saying in this instance, that's exactly what was happen, happening. And it could be happening in our life. Because God works his purpose in our life. Because he knows. And you know, this word knows, he knew, doesn't just mean that God knew they were suffering. Obviously, he knew, he heard, and he saw but there's an implication here. He cared. He understood their suffering. In John eleven twenty one, 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you get that? That's hard, isn't it? I mean, she is in the midst of her grief. I mean, drowning in it. And Jesus arrives and she says, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. You ever feel that way in the midst of your trauma, your grief, your pain? You think, you know what? God's just not with me anymore. He's not present. That's what she's saying. If you were present, this would make things different. Do you ever feel like God's just not here? He's not with you? Look, I've said this before, but I want to remind you of something. God is not living in your presence we are living in His. He's always with us. We can't escape from Him. He's ever-present. It's not whether or not God is with us or present. You know what? Jesus did not have to be there to save Lazarus. When they brought news to Jesus and said, Lord, the one who you love is sick, Jesus could have just spoken at that moment and Lazarus would have been healed. You know how we know that? Because he did that on numerous occasions. So why not now? If you really love him and you love them, why let them suffer? John eleven three. 3, so the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, listen to verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Wait, what? I mean, there's all this buildup about how much Jesus loves and about how God's going to be glorified. And yet Jesus hears he's sick and Jesus says, we're going to stay here a couple more days. Well, that doesn't make any sense. This is urgent. You need to go now. No, he didn't. 
No, he didn't. See, Jesus, being God in the flesh, knew what he was doing. You know, you think about this. Lazarus, when Jesus arrived, had been dead for how many days? For four days. You know what they said? He's been dead four days. He stinks by now. Okay, that's a morbid thought, but this is what they're thinking. Decay is already happening. Don't know why you're going to go bother the grave. It's done. It's over with. He's certainly dead. What if he got there two days earlier? Do you think then maybe people would have questioned whether or not Lazarus is actually dead? Maybe he was just asleep in there for a couple days. Jesus knew what he was doing. There's a reason he waited an extra two days. But you know what were happening in that extra two days? He's got two sisters, Mary and Martha, that are there two days wondering where Jesus is. And they're suffering for two days. So Jesus, two days that he stayed there and didn't come, caused them to suffer for two unnecessary days. But they weren't unnecessary. Those two days that they experienced suffering had a purpose. They had to suffer for an extra two days. You know why? Look at this right here. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. What happened after Lazarus was erased? People believed in Jesus. You know, Paul experienced something similar in his life. In 2 Corinthians 12 and 7, Paul says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan. Do you see that? A messenger of Satan to buffet me. You know what that means? Buffet? To backhand me. Why? Lest I should be exalted above measure. Now, Paul's seeing this in hindsight. He's not looking in the moment of the suffering and going, I know exactly why this happened. He's seeing this in hindsight. He's telling us after the fact. And so now he has the perspective that this suffering that he was going through, this messenger of Satan that was sent to buffet him, was for a reason. And what was the reason? Paul said, I received many, many revelations, many that others did not. And it could have caused me to be lifted up full of pride and be destroyed. And so something happened in my life to ensure that my pride did not get out of check. What was it? Physical suffering. You know what he said? And I asked God to take it away. I said, take it away. He said, I, I, I asked him three times, take it away. You know what God said? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. Why? For Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You know what we read in 1 Peter chapter 5? After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace. You know what God told Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. You know what God told him? Paul, I'm doing this to strengthen you. I'm doing this for your good. I'm doing this for my purpose. And Paul said, if that's the case, I'll glory in the tribulation. I'll gladly receive it. If it's really working in me, what God wants, then bring on the suffering. Jesus said, when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words... Therefore, do not be like them. Now listen, for your Father knows. 
the things you have need of before you ask him. So all this time that Egypt is crying out to God, or Egypt, the children of Israel in Egypt rather are crying out to God, there's this process of time that must take place before God delivers. And there's nine plagues, the original, the first nine plagues that God brings on them. And I want to ask you a question, why did God bring the first nine plagues? And someone says, well, he needed to soften Pharaoh's heart. Really? That's what God needed to do? That's why he did that? Look, if God wanted to, he could have spoke and Pharaoh would have dropped dead. You know what God said? I'm executing judgment against all the gods of Egypt. Did you know every one of those plagues represented a different god that they worshipped in Egypt? And you know why he was executing judgment against those gods? Not because of Egypt, but because the children of Israel needed to see these are not God. I'm God. These are not God. God was working his purpose so they wouldn't go back. So they would understand. And I want to tell you something. God did that for his glory. To show his glory. And I'll tell you why. Because when we doubt his glory, we doubt him. When we doubt his glory, we don't follow him. When we misunderstand his glory, we don't live the right way. We need to see God's glory. And God knows your circumstances. And he knows in every circumstance, he knows which circumstance will magnify his glory. And that's more important than your comfort. That's more important than my comfort. That God is glorified. I'm going to tell you something. God knows what you can bear. You don't, but he does. But you'll find out. And when you find out, God did not learn. He already knew. He's just showing it to you. But God will be magnified. He will be glorified. And if you don't believe that, I want to leave you with the last thought. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Do you think that was easy? Do you think when Jesus was on the cross and he cried out to the Father, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that God said, mm -mm, I'm not listening. Do you think he didn't see? He didn't hear? You think he didn't remember? I tell you, all those things happened. He heard him. He saw him. He looked at Jesus and he remembered his covenant. And he knew. He knew. And it pleased him to watch his son suffer to magnify his glory and to bring about restoration and establish you and glorify you through the suffering of his son, Jesus Christ. You know why? Because God knows what he's doing and we don't. So friends, cry. Cry out to God. But don't forget, he's in control and he knows what he's doing and trust his purpose and his will and not your own. Today, if you're here and you're hurting and you need to cast your care upon the Father, He will hear you. He'll remember. And I'll tell you, He'll bless you. He'll help you. And if you need that this morning, we're here to assist you in that. We're here to bring that cry before Him. If you're not part of His covenant, you're not in a covenant relationship with Him, I want you to know your sins have separated you from God. He doesn't hear your cries. He tells us this. But when you come to him through Jesus Christ, you have an advocate with the Father, and he hears those cries. He answers those prayers. He blesses his people because he remembers his covenant. And if you're not part of that covenant relationship, 
If you need to obey the gospel of Christ today, come and do that. Come have a seat as we stand and we sing.